What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, July 11th, 2021, and this week's episode, The Rivalry Isn't Over. Isn't over? Question mark. <laughs> we'll be obviously talking about everything UFC 264, the trilogy between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, and the obvious aftermath. Be talking about a lot of those finishes from the main card and the undercard. Um, we'll be talking about the latest in MMA news. There is a lot of it. The return of Nick Diaz, um, big time strawweight fight on deck, um, going to Fight Island, the latest on John Jones and Nganu and Stipe. And then, of course, we will close it out talking about UFC Vegas 31 this coming Saturday. Featuring the lightweight fight between Islam Mahachev and Tiago Moises. And the return of Misha Tate against Marion Renault. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez and I'm here with my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Hello Double G. How, uh, how are you feeling post... How many hours has it been since the, uh, the anticlimactic climax of UFC 264? I mean, so we're coming it? up at probably around like 18-ish. No, more like 20-ish hours. Have you recovered? Did you, know, you need to recover? You know what? Uh, I'll be honest. I think it's a weird experience when you actually get to be there and be around everything live because you kind of get to re- firsthand account of the information. And not that, let's be honest, everyone kind of does, right? I mean, they broadcast the post-fight presser live. But I do think there's something to be said for actually being on location and you feel the energy from everybody, you feel Dana walk into the room, and you really see things that maybe you don't pick up on when you're just listening, and maybe in and out, you know, you're looking at your phone while you're listening to the press conference, so I think that it's a different experience than if I just like, oh, it's over, and I'm just sitting waiting for YouTube on my couch, so it it was a different, I feel like I've fully processed everything that's happened, to answer your question. Okay, I haven't yet, but I'll, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. Um, I'm going to split this one up into three parts. We're going to talk about the fight itself. We're going to talk about the aftermath, and then we're going to talk about the future for Dustin and then the future for Connor, okay? Okay. So let's start talking about just the straight X's and O's, the main event last night, all of the sports world. Let's be honest, it was trending everywhere. The trilogy, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. I think all week the big thing is that Conor really ramped it up after being quiet for so many months and hardly saying anything. And then between, you know, about Wednesday night to Saturday morning, he just, you know, poured the gasoline and threw the match on it. It was in, you know, classic form at the press conference and making it personal and being bold and throwing, well, not throwing, but, you know, stealing hot sauce. Yeah. And just all this stuff that's like, okay, you know, like really, uh, I, I will say this, I identified that he was really trying to do his part to galvanize his fan base and also get those people to believe this isn't nice Connor, this is mean Connor, which means he's going to be that 180 different kind of fighter he needed to be to get the job done against Dustin. He goes out there, and I will say I was very impressed with his um, sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. I think he went out there. He knew he had to get respect early. 
he goes he starts trying to crack with some big leg kicks i think really to take the legs away obviously you know make it harder for dustin to go for takedowns to sit down on his punches and to his credit he had that great opening sequence and then dustin you know uh, once again he just looks so much significantly bigger than connor maybe not as big as he did in number two but just still looked like he was able to really use his physicality he got in connor's face wrapped him up connor goes for the guillotine and um i i will say that was probably the most ill-advised move he could have made i don't know if he felt like he was gonna get taken down anyway but the fact is um you know he goes for it i just i knew he, he didn't have it i think a lot of people it's like he might have had a good grip of the neck but he never had control of dustin's body even if he squeezed all the way i do believe dustin would have kind of just somersaulted you know out of the grip yeah i think he just had too much leverage to get out um and then you just kind of saw it you know connor with the elbow strikes from the bottom and i have seen the picture and the clip where he seems to grab that edge the bottom of dustin's glove to hold him there while he's trying to up kick dustin responds with even more devastating elbows and from there i i felt like that fight was really a wrap i felt like that real hot start that Connor is known for had burnt out and quite bluntly Dustin you know was all systems go I do feel like he was in route to really just taking over um there's that final sequence that we'll talk about but the fact is it gets close to the end Dustin finally lets him up they don't really connect clean but Connor you know obviously rolls back and we'll talk about that in a second what were your thoughts on essentially five minutes of action that we did get on without controversy? Well, great summary. But yeah, I had basically the same feelings. Uh, I was very excited with the way Connor started. Came off fast, sharp, great energy, aggressive. I was like, this is amazing. He's 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 out here to to finish the job, and it's it's gonna work. I'm talking about watching this as a big Connor McGregor fan, and that's the perspective I'm gonna share with you. Um. You know, the, the leg kicks, I was like, okay, that's good. But I'm thinking, remember what happened with Nate Diaz. Like, it worked, but at the end you walked out on crutches. So maybe don't don't go too hard on that. When you watch it again, you can see the moment that Dustin references later about where he kicks the leg and points at him. I'm sorry, he checks the leg kick and points at Connor. Um, and so I, I did observe that the second time I watched it. But in any case, uh, yeah, we get to the ground. Connor goes for the guillotine. I actually got a little excited. I was like, oh, cool, Connor's going to. You know, you know when a when a striker just shows you that they can submit too, like when Valentina Shevchenko submitted Juliana Pena, it's like, oh my goodness, they're better than we thought. This is amazing. I thought for a split second that could happen, but of course, you know, wasn't really as you as you explained uh, properly set up. He wasn't positioned to to do an effective guillotine. The elbows from Dustin Poirier were vicious. I was starting to get very worried. Even if Connor survived that round, I thought he's going to be diminished. He's going to be tired. I was worried when he was going for multiple guillotine attempts. I was like, he's going to gas out his arms. You know, at that point, I'm wondering, why is he doing this? Desperation, fear. Um, you know, Dustin Poirier is so much bigger than him. The back, the shoulders. And, and McGregor looked like a 45er, and they're against a 55er in some ways. So I was excited for like the first minute and a half of Connor's performance, and then it was the Dustin show. I, I didn't catch the pulling of the gloves, but it makes sense why Dustin was, you know, sort of 
trying to get the ref's attention. Um, and then, yeah, we stand them up and, and what happens happens and we can get into it now. I'll, I'll send it back to you for that, uh, for that setup. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously in the moment, like a lot of people, like it happens so fast, but I think when you've seen a lot of them, like we have, and maybe not the casual fan, um, respectfully, uh, you know, he goes back and it's like, that doesn't look like it was a clean hit from Dustin that, you know, Connor landed on his butt. Um, so obviously it's like, well, did he like, did he hurt his leg? Did he roll his ankle? Which, you know, not on, you know, altogether impossible. You know, it's certainly uncommon, but not unheard of. And instead, you know, he lands and it is just very clear the fight's over. And I'll be honest, of all the things, that's the part of the night that was seemed to move in slow motion because you just kind of process all that information in real time, right? I mean, like, he just, like, he just hurt his leg. Like, the trilogy, the end, you know, there can be only one. And we didn't get a resolution. We didn't get a, quote, clean resolution. Um, I, I will say some thoughts on that later. But the fact is, you see all that happen. You realize it happened to Conor McGregor, who is, you know, a, a megastar. Like, stuff like this may happen to other people. And I'm aware it happened to Anderson Silva on a very huge pay-per-view, too. But night, week in, week out, guys, you know, tweak and take shots. But these injuries just don't seem to happen. But it's happening on, you know, what will arguably, let's be honest, it may go down as the biggest pay-per-view of 2021. Um... And just quite simply, you're processing all of that, and then just the aftermath, like, and by now you've seen all the images, and there's, you know, Connor is hurt, but he's still animated, and he's, I couldn't tell if he's telling Herb Dean, or if he's telling Dustin, like, hey, this isn't a TKO, this is a Mm -hmm. doctor stoppage, I'm ready to fight you, it's them who's stopping the fight. All of that madness um obviously uh Dustin after he gets his hand raised or right before he he does the little strut back at Connor and you know flips him off or flexes on him I forget what it was yes there was the now iconic photo Dustin's (laughs) wife gets in the cage Connor's on his on the floor cussing at her and she's flipping him off and thug wife is the caption I love Mm -hmm. that I gotta say Jolie Poirier you a real one think everyone deserves a Jolie Poirier in their corner just for the record but you know you you just all, all this sequence of events and uh, Natalie uh be honest I mean the only thing I could even think that was remotely similar to that entire sequence with Joe Rogan talking to Connor is the Sean O'Malley one you know thank you know welcome to the sugar show mm-hmm. this was completely different in a way yes they were both on the floor but it's like the level of superstar you're talking to the amount of vitriol coming back the amount of just bitterness between both of them in the moment and it's like this does not happen every week this does not happen every month this does not happen every year an interview like this it was just so uh, you know, it almost makes sense because we know stuff happens at Conor McGregor fights. I mean, Conor Habib, obviously, stuff yeah. happened after th- when that fight was over too. But just the entire sequence of events to watch that on full live was just like, I cannot believe, like every time you feel like you've seen it all and then something like last night happens with that interview and it's like, I... and then final thoughts, like, look, uh, I'm aware that Conor 
and Dustin. It got to a point they legitimately didn't like each other. Um, for the record, yes, it did rub me the wrong way. What Connor seemed to be spitting back at the wife. And uh, it's par for the course. And we've talked about this in the past. Chael, Connor, Colby now. The thing that makes them different and polarizing, and if I'm being honest, breakout stars, was the fact that they did, quote-unquote, go there. They did cross the line a bit. And I will say this, Chael pulled it back in later years. Colby stopped, you know, he changed it a bit. It started getting more personal. But, at the, you know, for a while there, he was also making it, you know, him versus Brazil. That, you know, making it personal, that, that's the difference in their trash talk, right? That's why they were the big villain and they could perform in the cage. That led to big bucks. Um, I think that... After a fight like this, after what was supposed to be the end, you're on the floor, you're hurt. It did rub me the wrong way to see Connor that way, but I'll be honest, in the moment, it all just kind of felt so surreal that I don't think I've maybe felt the deep level of offense I should have just because I'm still there like, he's on the floor, TKO'd, ankle broken, now we find out lower shin, and he's still talking. I didn't even care what he was saying, I was just in such disbelief that, you know, now that I've had time to process it, it's like, uh, I don't even know what to say besides the fact that, like, um, you could hate Dustin all you want, but, you know, I felt like you were taking aim at targets you didn't need to. Well, I don't think that, you know, you know, either Joe Rogan wanted to or the producers forced him to. I don't think he should have interviewed Connor. I get it. It's, you know, it's He's always there for the interview, win or lose. But he... It's it's like you know Joe Rogan says I don't interview I don't like to interview fighters after they've been knocked out anymore. Well, this is this is one he should add to his his no interview list. Someone who's just had a broken limb. Now, in the case of Silva and Weidman, they were in such excruciating pain that there was no need or reason or desire to speak to them. But Connor, for whatever reason, either that's he's tough as heck or the injury didn't hurt as much, wasn't agonizing. He was upset. He was pissed off. The adrenaline was pumping. I'm sure he was feeling pain, but that wasn't at the front of his mind, right? The pain. It was the anger, the the fury over the fight going, ending that way. And when he started shouting, Dr. Stoppage, Dr. Stoppage, I interpreted that as him telling Dustin Poirier, don't celebrate. You didn't win. This is a Dr. Stoppage. It wasn't a TKO by you, even though that's, you know, the ruling uh, in, the, uh, in the books yep. uh, nonetheless. So... So that's that. Joe Rogan shouldn't have interviewed him. And, and you know, is Conor McGregor going to look back at that interview with regret? Probably not. But, yeah, he was clearly, like, just full of emotion and energy and said all kinds of things. It almost turned – it almost felt like it was just, like, playground stuff, like your mama, you know, like talking about his wife kind of thing. That one honestly didn't bother me. Didn't bother Dustin Poirier either. He said, you know, there's no chance there. My, you know, he's, he's, he's never going to get to my wife, and she's tough. She can handle herself. I was surprised that Dustin was more offended by the I'm going to kill you talk because we hear that from a lot of fighters. We hear from Deontay Wilder, other fighters in the octagon, and it's just like, to me, those are just words. It's par for the course. People are prepared to die in there. People say they're going to kill, but no one's actually trying to kill somebody. And so I was really surprised that he took that so seriously and, and that that's why for him this isn't over. It's not over for Connor either. I think they both said separately that, you know, even if it's on the streets, they're going to fight each other. So um, mostly I just feel for Connor because 
it was almost like I said, playground is almost like watching someone revert to like their childhood mentality, just being full of like emotions that you can't make sense of, you can't control, and you're just blurting out everything that's coming to mind. And uh, it's a bad break, man. It's, 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 you know, did it come from the check leg kick of Dustin Poirier? Was it already injured from training? Maybe both. I don't know, but but that's a that's a tough way for that fight to end. Now, you know, it's just it's it just left me. Uh, it wasn't as bad as as the Ronda Rousey lost to Holly Holm, as far as you know, from a fan's perspective. Uh, but it did leave me a little, uh, as the kids say, shook. I, I just couldn't <laughs> believe it, man. I just couldn't believe this happened to Connor. And and I think about all the, you know, the attitude he brought to the to the fight week. It seemed phony to me. It seemed a little forced, but I thought, okay, this is what he needs to do to get himself back in that wild dog mode. Okay, fine. I don't like it. Like, we don't need to see it anymore. Now we know it's fake. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but it's like when you're a real fan of somebody, you take them, you, you know, you, you take them how they are, whether you love or hate their their behavior. And so that's kind of where I am with Connor. Like, didn't like a lot of things he did. I did like a lot of things he did. And it doesn't matter ultimately because... I'll always be there. I was singing the uh, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather um, song. You remember when he was going to fight Mayweather and that Irishman? I'll tell you song? what, we played that on the show, you know, <laughs> pre pre uh, Straight Punch, pre Zamudio. We had a whole segment on that sucker. I, I remember it well. It I might learned have it. I learned it on the ukulele uh, so I could play it myself back, back when he fought Floyd. Well, we know and, what uh, you're doing next week on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta um, pull out the notes. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. Uh, look, uh, Connor, uh, and look, it's love him or hate him. He always has known how to put on a show like no one else, right? More than Ronda, and everything. Uh, I do think Connor, um, win or lose, uh, you know, he always understood the media. I think that Ronda had a different relationship with it, um, and I think that you know that's a big part of why she uh you know, stepped away after the yeah. losses. But, um, yeah, uh, let's talk about a bit of the future. Um, I, I, for the record, but before we move on, sorry. I will say that had Connor gone to the stool, et cetera, et cetera, I do believe that Poirier was riding the kind of momentum that he still would have got the job done. Even if they were to go the distance, I feel like it would have been a Poirier-centric performance. But uh, truth be told, I felt like Poirier was in route. I felt like he took Connor's best. And I felt like one way or another on the ground or maybe pieced him up again, he would have got the job done, plain and simple. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, did not say, I did not feel a Hail Mary was going to happen. Although anything can, I will go on the record saying, if you tell me to put the house on it, I would say no, he wasn't going to do it. Now... Um, the future. Let's start with Dustin Poirier. Obviously, Charles Oliveira. Um, I don't. He doesn't need another fight. He shouldn't worry about another fight, including the Notorious. And we'll get into that in a second. But I bluntly love this matchup, Natalie. I think that they are two of the most uh, impressive careers to come up through the lightweight division. And respectfully, like when you think about Tony prior to this run, you know, I mean, he had only one loss and like. So many victories, like the 12-fight win streak and the win streak before he lost the first time. And, you know, and then, like, he rode a great ride to the top of the division. Habib undefeated. 
Dustin, his setbacks are well chronicled. And Charles Oliveira, too. It felt like, you know, uh, great fighters, exciting, but maybe best of the best just may not have been in the cards. And now you're talking about easily the top two guys currently in the lightweight division. Um, their body of work, the strength of these past two performances, uh, stylistically the level of weapons behind them, Poirier's boxing and his size and his physicality, and Oliveira's tall and long but very technical and obviously very uh, just fantastic on the ground. Poirier, you know, he's a very competent grappler himself too. And now you talk about, you know, five rounds of them potentially at this stage of their careers. I just think it's an exciting matchup. And yes, anytime you have a Conor McGregor level star, I understood why Charles picked his shot. Dustin Poirier isn't going anywhere, but you want Conor McGregor if you have the opportunity. Didn't happen. He still gets a fantastic contender uh, for storyline. Two good guys who give back to their communities. Um, there's a lot to love about the matchup, and I think that, you know, there's no asterisk on this despite Conor McGregor's best efforts on the mic after the fight. This is Dustin Poirier coming off a great run against Charles Oliveira. I love the fight. What about you? Yeah, no doubt. It's a great, it's a great fight. Exciting, you know, and then just thinking about the body types, like we're talking about Dustin's size advantage over Conor. Charles Oliveira has always been like the lanky, skinny guy in the cage against any any 155er, and he still manages to to have uh, use you know to to demonstrate power to use power like he did with uh, Michael Chandler. So I'm very curious how his power holds up, um, or yeah, how Dustin's chin holds up against Oliveira's power and vice versa. Uh, so I'm 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 thrilled. Now, if it had been a Conor fight, um, I'd be excited too, but I'm somehow more excited to see Dustin and Charles fight for the for the belt. So hopefully they don't make us wait too long, maybe end of the year. I don't know. I mean, I'm here in December. I think that's a, you know, that sounds about right kind of deal. Um, Dana White did shoot down Allegiant Stadium. I think that it really comes down to scheduling. Who do they have available? Are they going to get in Ghana versus somebody in November? Um could the you know uh, Kamar Usman Colby? Do they want them at MSG? Do they want them fight Island? Um, the September event they haven't announced it, but it's you know if it's to be believed that does not have a title fight on it yet. They only have the Nick. But we'll talk about it. Nick Diaz will be there more more than likely. But um, I'm just curious how they're going to divide these last few because I. You know that the Valentinas and the Rose Namajunas are going to factor in the equation, but the champions that they tend to go with, I'm definitely intrigued by how they're going to split it up. But yeah, you got to think Connor and Dustin, sorry, uh, Charles and Dustin will be at the top of uh, one of these cards in November, December. And I think it'll really come down to who do they get? Because I think that if they get, in Ganu versus somebody, they may do that December. Um, I do. I don't know if they want to run back Colby Usman again. I feel like they might feel like they'll be more successful with Charles and Dustin in Vegas again. So mm-hmm. that's my thoughts. Okay. Anyway, uh, Conor McGregor. Um, uh, very bluntly, he could do anything he wants. 
if he says he wants to go into being a you know a different field he will go in as a very famous man his star power is very secure behind the work he's already put in there you know one he's got to heal rehab i don't expect to see him back until probably this time next year with change maybe next you know september october um optimistically but I think that, it, you know, talking about, well, title shots and all that, I, I think that time is done for Connor. I think that, um, especially if Dustin, wherever he's at in a year from now, is coming off a win, there's almost no point to it, even though the money would be there. You know, you've just, you've proven what you need to prove against him, and you've gotten two paydays out of it. So I think that, um, I know Dana said, well, you know, Connor will get Dustin when he comes back. It's like, uh, I think that Dustin right now is at a level that Connor is no longer at. And, you know, at the time to talk about title shots and title fights and number one contender fights, that's not there. Are there still fights for him? Certainly. Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, there's options out there. Islam Mahachev, I mean, you know, <laughs> imagine that press conference. But... Um, I, I just feel like Connor, if he were to not come back, I wouldn't be shocked. And mind you, 600 million off the sale of the proper 12. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be shocked, but I think that this is the biggest test of how much does Connor actually love the game when he's not at the top of it. Cause he's going to be taking big fights and it, it's going to be a lot of work. Maybe not the same kind of impact pay-per-view wise I think this is a test but I would not be surprised I think Connor he's had such a fantastic career two titles broke the records I mean he really busted open the door for crossover with boxing this might be the time go ahead yeah I, I agree with you when you know it started sinking in the nature of the injury, as soon as he was sitting on the canvas and you saw him like flop his foot around, I thought, oh, okay. You could try to come back from this. Anderson Silva tried. Chris Weidman will probably try. Um, but, you know, it's going to be really, as you said, how comfortable can he get with not being at the top top anymore and not being really wanting, like not being – no one having much interest in him fighting at the top top because he's just going to get beat up. So yeah, he could fight Nate Diaz. He could fight uh, Tony Ferguson. That's a, that's actually an interesting matchup. Or he could just say, you know what? Thanks for the cheese. Say it again. And then go, go live his life. Maybe, you know, boxing can be where he ends up. You know, you, you have those shoes that protect your ankles and you don't have to do kicks. Um, not trying to make jokes, but like you know, this. It, I think it would be easier on his body to just just focus on boxing. It seems like that's what he really wanted to do. That's that's sort of what led to his his downfall in the second Dustin Poirier match, because he had his eyes on a different prize. Um, I think that opportunity in boxing is still there for him, but also the opportunity to just continue living your life as a businessman. Maybe you could do acting like Michael Bisping is doing, um, or you know build up a, a fight promotion in Ireland, do something like there's so many opportunities and so many options that he has that um, he's going to have to really decide 
long and hard, think about it, if he wants to put his body through all that again to fight Dustin Poirier, like, is he going to be able to live out the rest of his life never having that match again, you know, trying to close the chapter on that? I think about DC and how he had to retire with that loss against Stipe, back-to-back losses, never getting the win against John Jones. Like, it happens. You can be as great. Well, you can be one of the greats of all, the greatest of all time, and still go out on you know a handful of losses, and that's it. It is what it is, unfortunately. So, I think that might be sort of where he should go. Where I, if I were to, you know, if you were to come to me <laughs> and say, Natalie, what should I do? I would say. Maybe you don't need to go back to MMA. Why don't you try boxing and, like, something else? Uh, That would be my advice. I mean, a comeback, I think he'd have to address a lot. I mean, I I will respectfully say, I know people talked about he's small at 155. Uh, He was killing himself to make 45 for a while, and he was significantly, you know, a good chunk of years younger. Yep. Um, You talk about a comeback, uh, evolve his game. That's the number one challenge. Number two, size. I mean, you're talking about a lot of packing on weight, and I touched on it, you know, in the lead up is that, you know, I felt like his approach with all these just kind of bulk up to 170 eating, not necessarily Mm -hmm. like packing on muscle because you knew you were going to fluctuate between 170 and 155. You know, he wasn't able to really put on weight like an athlete trying to become a bigger lightweight should. Yeah, You know, you kind of got to do it like Dustin did and Masvidal did to make their respective weight classes now. Um, but yeah, like uh, like I said, I mean, that would be if he comes back. I would love at least one more against a Nate, maybe a Tony. But once again, uh, that's also me saying, do I see Conor McGregor at this stage of his life and career doing all that? I can't say I do. But apparently Connor was joking with his coach in the hospital after surgery. I saw the interview with uh, Lorsenko that Connor was joking, you know, there was apparently a charity boxing event with a guy in a wheelchair and there was wheelchair <laughs> boxing well, and he said, well, sign me up. And I was like, well, ah, anything could happen as we've learned. So, <laughs> wheelchair I'm, boxing. I'm going to shelve that for now. That's another podcast. Um. How do you even get close enough with the wheelchair? I mean, you, let's get on YouTube after this, yeah? Okay. But um, uh, with that uh, said, um, Gilbert Burns shocks Stephen Thompson. Just gritty, you know. He got him to the right spots, got him down, held him down. Volume. Very impressed. I, I will say after the fact, I realized, like, you know... That could have really screwed up Leon Edwards had Wonderboy won. And now we have another situation where Leon is the very clear number two behind Colby. Kamaru really, now it's on him. What does he prefer more? Uh, Colby Covington or Leon Edwards? And just try to get the UFC on board with his plan. UFC likes Colby. Yeah, Dana White has said so, but... Maybe Kamaru feels like right now the better fight for him to establish himself is beating Leon, who's on the longer win streak than Colby. But yeah, I, Gilbert Burns created that situation with a solid win over Wonderboy. Anything to say on the coming event? I was disappointed. You know, I'm a huge Wonderboy fan, so I don't like when you just hold down a striker and, and you know, of course the striker should be able to get up and keep you from holding so you down. mean like you're supposed to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hate it when people do mixed martial arts in the MMA cage. You know, I hate when you do, <laughs> when you use all your tools. Um, 
because when you fight Wonder Boy, I want you to, you know, I want to see Wonder Boy shine. Uh, so it was disappointing. Uh, but, you know, again, if you, that's his job, it's on Wonder Boy to get up and not get taken down over and over again. Usually he has pretty good takedown defense, but Gilbert Burns was, was just too good for him. Um, so, yeah, I was bummed out because it's not, it wasn't an exciting co-main event. Even if, even if Burns had won, um, I'm, yeah, you, you know, if he had won in a, an exciting way, I would have been like, oh, that was a good co-main. But not nah, to me, that was not exciting, you know. Okay, great. You can send me the hate mail. But uh, that's just how I feel about it, man. I don't like the hold down and, uh, and keep him down thing if you're not. And, I mean, look, even the ref was like saying, come on, show me something, show me something. Like, there were definitely moments there where Gilbert Burns was just holding, pressing. And I, I'm not a fan of that, but whatever. I reiterate, it's on Wonder Boy to, uh, to get out of those sticky situations, and he couldn't do it. Uh, rapid fire, but I think that's in part because we were particularly spoiled on the undercard. Um, Taitu Ivasa, oh. that was reminiscent of uh, the Stipe knockout and uh, A plus on the walkout, A plus on the knockout. I mean, nothing more to say. It was exciting for as long as it lasted. He got people pumped up. Success. What are your yeah? Quick- he got everybody fired up. I would say I'm with you on the grades, except F. To the guy who squirted hot the uh, Dustin Poirier hot sauce in his shoey. That was horrible. And he kept going. That is he, he spit he, it out though. He spit most of it out. He admitted it's like I'm you know what, I'm wired different. I've accepted it. Um Irena Aldana missed oh, weight, man. goes out there, destroys Yana Kunitskaya, says, Look, I, I hate to do that. I've been on the other side. Uh menstrual cycle, just stop sweating. She had a statement victory. Uh not gonna get her an Amanda Nunes fight when you think about you know Holly Holm just won just beat her and all that but definitely puts her in the mix maybe against some people coming up soon just saying uh quick thoughts on that one yeah it was a great a great hook um and I like her her attitude patience like Brandon Moreno she says my time will come so I think it will and it's just gonna take a little bit longer uh Drake's duplicies great just finish on the undercard um you know unfortunately a lot of those so went you know a little under the radar but he had a nice one Ilya Tupuria just spoils the return of uh, that was a weird one to watch I mean it was kind of like if it works he looks like a genius when it doesn't he looks unqualified to be in the cage Ryan Hall yeah it's worked for him so many times but I felt like Quite simply, I felt like he somehow had never gone up against someone of the skill level of Elia, and that just showed. Yeah, it was strange. I, exactly, you said it perfectly. If it works, it's like, oh my god, why? You know, why are people so afraid to fight this guy? You know, they should force people to fight him. Um, and then now it's like, oh, if I see this and I'm a fighter, I'm like, oh, I know how to beat him now. No, no problem. It was very strange. It was too relaxed, too cocky. Um, and he paid for it. And now what happens to the stock of Ryan Hall? I don't know. We'll see. Does this mean he gets more fights, right? Are people going to be more willing to fight him now? You know what? If it isn't, that's just... Uh, I almost went off like Joe Rogan did on the mic. <laughs> it should. If it doesn't, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Um, the Sean O'Malley-Chris uh, Moutinho fight. Um, Chris, I will say, I felt like the... That fight might be closer without commentary than it seemed. I think that Chris was doing a lot, but let's be honest. That was the Sean O'Malley statistical show. I think it was a little reminiscent of the um, Thomas Almeida fight. It felt like he was messing around when 
you feel like if he gets to work a little more, you know, he probably gets him out of there. I don't... It was a beautiful performance in terms of what he was able to do despite playing around. But um, I don't have a problem with the stoppage because you eat that many unanswered shots, uh, there's no wiggle room. You know, defend yourself or I stop it. Doesn't matter if you're out or not. What about you? I'm with you. Didn't have a problem with it. It could have been stopped sooner. It could have been stopped by his corner. Um, at any point, uh, you know, don't let him continue. Like I, at the end of the first round, I thought, you know, I might have might have thought about stopping this, uh, not letting him come out and answer the bell. At the end of the second, I think I definitely would have said, like, okay, you're still not moving your head, bro, and you're just charging forward, and he's just punching you over and over again. So you have a great chin. First of all, it's not going to last. Second of all, um, you're just eating shots unanswered. And it's, it's almost worse that Sean O'Malley either couldn't or wouldn't finish him because he had to absorb way more shots. Um, yeah, I think it was a good stoppage. I was not disappointed with it. But then when I, when, when Bruce Buffer um, announced how much time was left, it was like four minutes and 33 seconds. I was like, oh, come on. He only had 27 seconds left. Maybe they should have let him keep going. I listened to Joan McCarthy said, a good ref doesn't care about the clock, doesn't exactly. know it exists. Right. Doesn't matter and, if there's one second left. If he's out, you stop it. End of discussion. That's you know. 100% true. It's what I said the same thing. But if I'm, if I'm, uh, I can't pronounce Mutino, um, I'm thinking like, come on, bro, like in less than 30 seconds. But of course, it's if, not up to If me. you're that upset, you should have blocked more punches. You should have tried moving your head or something. <laughs> there we go. I'll just leave it at that. Um, fantastic night overall, start to finish. I felt like it was very well paced. I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, there is news coming up the wazoo. Um, the big one, and then we're just going to fly through a lot of this, but Nick Diaz, after, uh, what is this, 2015, so about six years away, coming back, apparently they have an opponent, it is Robbie Lawler. So they fought together once in a fight in 2004. Natalie, respectfully, I know that you, we've talked about this, you kind of are a newer fan, you're not an OG early 2000s fan. Right. I... I do not want to know if you have not seen Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler 1. Okay. If you haven't, I don't want you to say it. I don't want you to let me know this. I just know if that is true, you better find, you, you better multitask and watch it right now while we're talking. It's that important. Absolutely wild. A fighter's fighter's fight. You know, like a fighter's type of fight. Just two guys in it. Savage. Love of the game. It was a beautiful fight. Now they're doing it, you know, 17 years later, which is just ridiculous math when you think about that. Um, and it has the potential to still be maybe not as exciting because, uh, you know, it could be less durable, but still a lot of fun. I think that's a testament to who these two guys are. Um, I didn't think Nate, sorry, Nick Diaz would fight. Robbie Lawler's been more active, fought last year, had to withdraw from a fight with Mike Perry in November. You know what? I just like it. I think that UFC got it right. What about you? Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. They got it right. And um, I also didn't think Nick Diaz was going to come back. I mean, he's cried wolf a bunch of times. Yep. And uh, this was the only time where Dana White was like, yeah, he's actually going to come back. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe he will. Usually Dana's like, oh, I don't know, you know, whatever. They don't want to fight anymore. Nick Diaz doesn't want to fight. This time he's like, yeah, it's going to happen. But still, I didn't believe it. Okay, 
should I believe it now or should we still be on the fence? It's like, it's not confirmed, confirmed, is it? Or is it a done deal? I think uh, Ariel Hawani said like 85% done. Okay. So I think that's that's just like time, date, wait. The only thing that, you know, maybe Nick might be trying to get some pay-per-view points. Maybe Robbie too. Get a little cut of the check. Okay. Because once again, that's, uh, I think, uh, I have to see it. I'm not sure if they're going to be a five-round non-title fight. I have to double-check that. I think they might be. Don't say that's confirmed. That's not Brett Okamoto. <laughs> but um, like I said, if they do move Blahovich, like I'm hearing, there's no title fight official for September. So they're really... I don't know who they're going to pair this fight up with, but they are really essentially banking on Nick to bring some viewers if they're not, you know, this is coming up soon. They got to announce it or you're most likely only going to have one title and really bank on Nick still bringing in a crowd by himself with Robbie. So, which respectfully people know Robbie is not the Robbie of, you know, several years ago. Well, no. So they're really banking on his star power if they don't announce some other fights soon. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, let's go ahead and knock these out. Uh, Nevada says fighters will no longer be punished for using marijuana. Um, I will just say this. A lot of fighters said, I do look forward to smoking. However, I'm not going to try to go in there high fight week because I get munchies and it's harder to cut weight. <laughs> What I will say is I I think that there's now less wiggle room if you get busted for substances. Because we've seen it a bunch, but now it's like, no, really. If you're still getting caught when they're taking stuff like this off the board, it's like, come on, man. So so that's Nevada. What about USADA, though? Is that They tend to kind of follow each other. Okay. I well, think USADA doesn't worry about that. That's just Nevada. Gotcha. Like, okay. USADA will catch it, but most people tend to follow Nevada, California, and I think they technically copy the rules when they go abroad for, like, Europe and Brazil and all that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, some more basic ones. Uh, confirmed UFC 266, the September pay-per-view we just talked about. That'll be Vegas. Confirmed the October pay-per-view, 267, is October. Um, Fight Island. Uh, Dana did tease it's going to be a, another series. It's not just going to be a one-off and then they come back to America. Yeah. So good stuff there. We have a little bit more, you know, when we talk about matchups and who they put where, that'll be interesting. Uh, Hamza Chmaev coming back. The rumor is they wanted to be against the Leech, Lee Jiang Liang, on October 30th. Um, I like it. I think that that's a solid opponent. I think ranked correctly for Hamza. And, you know, hard to believe this guy hasn't fought since like midsummer last year. So what do you think about this? Yeah, it's, that's that's good. I mean, you know, there was a moment there where he was considering retiring because of, of COVID knocking his uh, knocking him on his butt. So uh, glad that we're on the other side of that. And this is a good matchup. I'm excited. And I believe, yeah, I just double-checked that. That will be the uh, Abu Dhabi card. So I think that just makes a lot of sense. Um, Next one, high stakes in the strawweight division, Mackenzie Dern versus Marino Rodriguez. They're going to be headlining on October 9th. I think that this is a this has got title eliminator, if you ask me. I think that um obviously Rose is going to be focused on Carla Esparza, 
I don't know where that leaves Zhang Wei Li, but I do think that this is a sign that a, a title rematch isn't in the cards right now. But what I like about this one, I think that Mackenzie is hitting her stride at the right time. I think that Marina is coming off the right victories at the right time. And um, when you talk about Tatiana Suarez moving up to flyweight now, I think that that really is just the next logical, they're the next ones up. So I think stylistically, you know, Mackenzie's ground game, you know, I think it's going to be put to the test getting an opponent there because even though she's doing better, she we saw what Marina looked like against Karate Hottie. Um, she she doesn't win 25 minutes striking. And, you know, like if they if she doesn't get a quick knockout, she doesn't win a kickboxing fight with Marina. So I think this is going to be a test. Can she put it all together against a very tough opponent who's on a roll, really, and is beating some tough, tough contenders? What about you? Yeah, I mean, Mackenzie, I'm, I'm impressed with how she looks now from when she started in the UFC. Her physique has changed. Her striking has improved so much. And the threat of the ground game is is always going to be there. And so um, this is a, a good, good matchup. Title eliminator, yeah, probably. Um, there's that, yeah, that makes sense. Close to close to getting you anyway to the to the top of the of the uh, of the seat there. So yeah, this is a good one. October. That's when did Mackenzie last fight? I can't remember. I think uh, April. April, March, okay. March, April. So, yeah. A little bit of a break there, but okay. Also, I feel like the timing. You feel like Rose will fight somebody around that time. I would hope November. I feel like if they do MSG, like it seems to be the plan in um, New York, that you know bring Rose back to where she had those two battles with Joanna. Um, so I feel like okay, well you get the job done. You got Marina or Mackenzie there in the wings. I think it'll be good. And once again, this tough fight, you know, good one for Marina too. I think she's looking for that name opponent who's on a great win streak to really put her over the top. So it's yeah. a good one. Um, I want to double check. <sighs> Dana White speaks to former Golden Boy uh, head honcho, advisor to John Jones, Richard Schaefer. And the comment Dana White said was, yes, I did meet with Richard Schaefer and we had to talk to him about how the business works in MMA. Jeez. And I'll just say, he said it in a tone that suggests he had to tell Richard Schaefer why John Jones was not about to get paid. Mm-hmm. And all I'm going to say is that I do not expect a deal to have been made for John Jones <laughs> upon hearing this. Yeah, I think he's really made a series of... Of mistakes, missteps at least, in handling his career and, you know, asking for money that is not unreasonable. Okay, everyone agrees he should be getting that much money. But then it's like, you know, can you slay the dragon? UFC being the dragon and, and you know... Not Leota Machida? No, not that dragon. <laughs> leave, him alone. leave him alone, please. Um, oh, he already slayed him, though. <laughs> um, you know, can you do it? Maybe. But the biggest star in the world, Conor McGregor, couldn't. You know, even even Jake Paul is, is making fun of how he had to cut, you know, share his purse for the Mayweather fight because they're they're tied into these crazy contracts. So look, if John Jones has the time and the money to sit out and wait to to have someone fight on his behalf and get something amazing, some amazing deal for him, that's great. Go do it. 
but also understand that it could mean you never fight in the octagon again. Dana White is not in a in a in a rush to have him back. Doesn't need him. Like we saw it with Ngannou, right? They so don't like it's so more important for them to have any title fight on a pay per view, doesn't matter who it is, than it is to to please their stars that they're willing to like months after someone wins a belt turn it into an interim belt. Um, just because they're not they're not interested, they're not willing to play any game. They're the UFC will always be bigger, and and that's the message they're sending home to all the fighters. Now, should someone try and and, and end that business model? Yeah, man. But good luck. So good luck to John Jones and Richard Safer, who doesn't even know how MMA works apparently. You know, so a, a bunch of things to touch on. Um, first off with Houston, you know, we talked to Derek Lewis last night and he did say, you know, someone brought it up. Were, were you paid more to fight Cyril rather than wait for Francis? And he said, no, I'm pay, I'm getting paid the exact same money as if I would have fought in Ghana. So I felt like, okay, that's kind of telling. Um, I will also point out, I, I do like what Jake is saying about money. Yeah. I think there is one thing that he may be forgetting. Most fighters aren't in the financial position he is without fighting. Correct. And I think that, you know, when you talk about, well, why isn't this like, it's a lot harder than it looks when you're trying to get paid doing this. That being said, what he's saying, you know, like, you know, get fighters paid certainly is not a fault. Certainly everyone, everyone would love to walk home with more money. UFC would like to rake in a profit and fighters would love to get paid a ton. And in a perfect world, we all get to do that and roll, you know, roll around in expensive cars and big houses. Um, that's one of the things that's tough about business on many levels. And uh, I don't think there's an easy solution to all of it. But um, going back to just all this right now with uh, Richard Schaefer and John Jones, I do worry that... Um, John Jones deserves to get paid. I think, though, he's really in a no-win situation. I think that Dana's rolling the dice on, uh, one, Derek Lewis being a star or being able to build Cyril Ghosn on his skill level and his talent. Um, Francis Ngannou is already there. And uh, I think that, um, you know, they're essentially saying, look, you don't want to fight. The, he the heavyweight division is just fine without you. Um, you've already said you're doing all this work, so you're not going to cut back to 205. So it, it, that leaves John in a position where, you know, I, I just don't see it getting fixed, to be honest. I, I just don't know. And I, I kind of said this before, at what point has the ship sailed? If they move on and, uh, you know, Dana also said we got Stipe is still in the mix. It's like, He's created a situation where he doesn't need John Jones. Mm -hmm. And quite simply, the MMA landscape has been rolling on without him. You know, they kind of, uh, I think at this point, we're starting to see John Jones like we, you know, like GSP. Like, we're not holding our breath every welterweight title fight to see if he's going to come back. You know, and it's just very, it's just very difficult to figure out how they will sort this out but i will say that that tone made me feel like well i don't know you know uh, i just once again you want to see a guy of john jones talent compete and for the record uh, i've heard his tweet i've seen his tweets i know what he's saying i do believe that if they were to meet him financially the quote-unquote process to become a natural heavyweight would be complete this year 
He's like, well, it's taking me longer. I think it's going to be till next year. I don't think that's true. I think if they honestly paid him enough, he would have said that process is done, you know, signed, sealed, delivered. So anyway, that's a long way of me saying that this does not bode well for the future of John Jones anytime soon. And after being out for more than a year already, it really just creates a scenario where I do believe the demand is officially gotten that big bucket of water dumped on it. So. <laughs> and there we are. Okay. But yeah. Um, I wish everybody could get paid, Natalie. <laughs> I do too. You know what I mean? I saw Jake hey, saying it. Me. I, I saw Jake saying it, and I'm like, well, everything you're saying is correct. And people like that you're saying it, but then I was like, but if you stop boxing tomorrow, are you worried? Nope. <laughs> if other people stop fighting tomorrow, are they worried? Yeah, like uh, Mutino. Like, yeah. he's worried. <laughs> Fun stuff, you saw, did you see Jake Paul had the Conor McGregor necklace made? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, he got like a little porcelain one on a chain. And he tweeted Dustin said, do you want the chain? Um, I think you deserve it. Dustin said, yeah, send it over. And Jake said, do you want me to break the ankle off or do you want to do that (gasps) yourself? (laughs) Wow. And then part of me was like, you know, because he had the, the Poirier mcgregor 2-1 where connor's kind of like holding like he's chilling with the head up like the phone uh-huh. and then I, I remember thinking i was like well i wonder how long it'll take jake to get one of saturday night made with him against the fence with joe rogan Jeez. <laughs> and i'm like oh, connor. them influencers man they know I how know. to make that undefeated internet work for them Jeez. Uh, it's it was quite a week you see what happens when we take a week off? <laughs> anyway, um, real quick, this is coming Friday. Juliana Velasquez against Denise Kaleholtz, Bellator flyweight title. I think that um, she gets this win. You're talking about, I think, a 12-fight win streak, 13 maybe. Um, you start talking about she's getting close to sweeping the board over there in Bellator. So one to watch, definitely. And Denise, fun fighter, good run. This could be a fun fight. So that's one to watch out for. But this Saturday, let's get into it because we're getting to the end of the show. Yeah. UFC Vegas 31, back in Vegas. I mean, I'm not back. I'm still in Vegas, but you get my point. (laughs) Um, Let's start from the bottom up with the co-main event. So Misha Tate comes back. She last fought 2016. She's taken on 44-year-old Marion Renault, veteran, been around a minute, fought several former title challengers and a former champion um you know what this one uh i guess what it comes down to take uh, you know the marketing side of it misha's such a if anything i think that she's kind of in that realm like she's kind of come back and trying to see if her popularity will also carry over like she t- had so many people now with the one championship and sirius xm and you know she kind of just built that goodwill kind of like mm-hmm. Dominic Cruz did like people got to know him when he wasn't fighting because he was doing yeah. so much you know ambassador and analyst stuff I think Misha is now trying to see if she could turn this into a title shot in today's Bantamweight division but the thing is is she still up at that level you know is she can she live up to it 
I will say she has an opponent in Marion Renault who is tough, durable, but I don't the level between Marion and Amanda quite bluntly is very vast. So I feel like even though Marion is tough and has all the tools to test Misha, I feel like this is going to be more a test of Misha's athleticism rather than skills. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's fair. I think I think they they also did a fair matchup, like a favorable favorable matchup for Misha Tate. Let her dip her toe back in the water, see how she feels, and then they can also assess how she looks, how fast is she. You know, her physique looks great, at least on Instagram. But she was never, you know, she was coming out of that old school style of striking where you kind of just wing your punches. And, and she's obviously more of a wrestler, a grappler. That's her, that's her bread and butter. So that's obviously still going to be there. But if her striking looks better, if it looks more slick, more streamlined, that would be great. But it's just mostly a let's see how she looks kind of thing. Um, you know, it. Mary Renault, I've always been a fan of hers, and I think at the time that this fight was booked, it was sort of mentioned uh, that this could be her retirement fight. So you know, maybe she'll be really gunning for to put on a show to really give it to Misha. I don't know, but I am very very excited to see how Misha Tate's going to look, and I think. Again, they did. They did. This is great matchmaking. I think about like when Chad Mendes didn't he fight like Alexander Volkanovsky, like <laughs> like when he had just come back after after his suspension, and like that was kind of it. He retired after that. Yep. So so like you know the UFC definitely does some kind of sometimes they do really head scratching matchmaking for for folks that you know need a little bit of a warm up tune up. Dare I say, this is a good one. This is good for both for both Tate and Renault. And um, title shot, up title, like, uh, you know, is she going to be able to work her way up to a title shot? Yes. If Amanda Nunes is still the champion, is she going to, will she stand a chance against her? Probably not. Unless she has somehow completely, like, changed her game. And, and especially, specifically her striking game. So there's room for Misha Tate to grow in this division. Is there room for her to win the belt again? I doubt it, but we'll see. I mean, you got to talk about like, okay, Amanda's a whole another story, but just like this top three or four, right? I mean, if you're Misha, you're looking at it, you're talking about Holly Holm, yep. Jermaine Durandamy, Aspen Ladd's coming back uh, two week, uh, a week from Saturday. Irene Aldana. Irene Aldana now is up there. Um, you, you know, okay, like, can you... Like, is what you brought before in 2016 enough to beat those girls today? And one, if it's not, are you better than that? Because I think people say that's her ceiling. 2016, 2015, leading up to, um, you know, the win streak she was on before she fought Holly Holm. Um, that's a very tall task task of any athlete. Does, oh, you need to be as at least as good as you were five years ago. <laughs> and then most likely you'll even have to be better. And respectfully, one thing she talked about is, I, I know it, what it sounds like as I say it, believe me. <laughs> but uh, respectfully, you know, you didn't hear her talk about, yeah, I've been out there hitting pads and working with my kickboxing, you know. I think she did a lot of the grappling workouts because she started as a wrestler. And, you know, maybe she's around the gym and rolls a bit. But is she committed to being, has she committed time to like, oh, I want to become a better boxer in these months I've been off or... Am I maybe just hitting the pads to work up a sweat? 
I, I don't know. Only she knows that. I will say I've gotten the impression that it's not. Um, and in which case, like, well, you, you know, in terms of her wrestling, solid. Her top game is definitely the best part of her game. She's never been a lights-out wrestler. She's never been Habib will take no. you down each time. And I think therein lies the key to unraveling it is if um, Marion or anybody can defend the takedown, that becomes a longer fight for Misha Tate. You know, she's not really been one to win, you know, 15, 25 minute fights on the feet. It's always been set up hands, get you down, uh, do the damage there. So I think that's a, you brought it up. Big test for Tate. Where, where is her skill level at after the time away? Like I said, I think that she got a good matchup in Renault and that Renault's skills are there, but I think that um, Misha is expected to be faster, stronger. She's just, you know, younger. She's with a great team at Extreme Couture. I mean, they turned Francis Ngannou from the Predator to the Predator, like the sequel. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just a good test. Marion, um, kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, a uh, little good at striking tough you know can take a punch can grapple a bit um not gonna be lights out on the feet not gonna be lights out on the ground so i do think that misha overall if she's stronger and faster she could provide marion problems i think it's about you know just how what's her game plan i think it should be to get her on her back in 15 minutes just try to keep her down and maybe submit her or just really overwhelm with volume but I can't see the strategy being anything else. I don't think she should go out there to try to kickbox with Marion for twenty, you know, fifteen minutes. Yeah, I think that would be a mistake unless you know she's really got something to show us. So I was just like kind of assuming that she would have been really working on her striking game for her to feel like she's ready to come back. Because if you just look at the landscape, as you pointed out, like this is no joke, right? So I love the way you put that. It, you know, you got to be. Uh, as good as you were 20, uh, five years ago in 2016, well, actually, no, you have to be better than you were five years ago uh, just to just to move along in this division. So um, there are some people I think she can beat, um, uh, relying on her grappling. But, yeah, if she tries to, stay, to just stay standing up with Mary Monroe, not going to work. Mary Monroe's, Mary Monroe's big. She's a good size. So Misha Tate will probably have her work cut out for her, trying to take her down, keep her down. But, yeah, I do feel that is her only strategy. Misha Tate is a fighter. She doesn't quit. I think often about how she defeated Holly Holm the last round to win the championship, finally become a UFC belt holder. And for that reason, because she has no quit, this is her return. You know, now she's got the, you know, her kids, her family. Like, it's a big thing for her to be coming back, and she wants to make a good showing of herself. I think she's going to grind it out, unanimous decision, um, with just using her grappling. Yeah, I think that it's going to be um, one of those fights that uh, Misha's going to have. She's always gotten tougher as the fight goes on. It kind of mm-hmm. just starts to get ugly. and um, Or not ugly, but she just kind of gets in there and it, it turns into a scrap. They go from fighting MMA to scrapping. And I think that's one thing that uh, Misha has always done very well. And I'm just very... Um, I'm very excited to see her back uh, in that way. I think, once again, when you talk about the Bantamweight division under Amanda Nunes, Misha's a breath of fresh air, but once again, you know, you know where the road leads. And that, to me, that's why, like, I, 
I'm excited, but I'm cautious. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that when you talk about who Misha was as a fighter before, there's a lot of reason to be excited. She's still one of the most popular bantamweights out there, and I think that says a lot. So, yeah, I, I'm ready to see it. I will go Misha Tate for the win. I think that um, pace. I think that she's just gonna she's gonna get the takedown she needs, but I think overall she's just gonna be able to get. She's gonna just be able to hit Marion more. I mean, I know this sounds simple, but it's like it's not gonna be the prettiest striking display. Right. It's not gonna be beautiful wrestling for 15 minutes but i think she's gonna get the takedowns and i think she's gonna outstrike her enough to get ahead on the scorecards misha tate for the win okay we're lined up in the lightweight division islam mahachev taking on tiago moises islam says other people didn't want it so tiago moises gets it uh the first thing i think you've got to realize about tiago moises um one of those names, kind of like Drew Dober. Look, when you're in a division with Conor McGregor, Habib, Dustin, Gaethje, it's very hard to break out, right? It's a shark tank up there at the top, and even those guys aren't necessarily dominant when they fight each other. But Tiago Moises is very well-rounded, young, fast, uh, got all the tools he needs to test Islam. I think the real big one for Islam is can you perform the way you're expected to perform because Islam is sorry Tiago is as dangerous as a lot of guys on any given night at lightweight it's now going to be is Islam Mahachev able to do what he's done consistently like is he going to be able to be lights out against a guy who respectfully isn't a big name and people feel like the big names necessarily fight better that's not always true but it affects Islam if he doesn't treat him like it. Yeah, uh, you know, this is interesting because I'm looking at Makachev's, I keep, I always pronounce the K, it's, it's just there. It's just, yes, Ma- it's so tempting. Makachev. Um, am I wrong? Is Has he not fought since 2019? Looking at topology here. No, remember September he 2019? fought, he fought oh, I'm sorry, Drew, Drew Dober. Dober. Sorry, Drew Dober. The last time he fought was Drew Dober, January, or March, uh, Drew Dober, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, okay, but before that, he had a long, he didn't fight in all of 2020. Gotcha. Um, yeah, this is a, a good fight. I think if I'm Islam, I'm looking at this like, it doesn't matter who my opponent is, but I need, I'm, you know, headlining a main event. I need to make an impression. Like, I want to impress, of course, Dana White. I want to impress the fans. And so that's the pressure that he's really feeling, whether he's, you know, internally expecting to have a hard fight or not, he needs to make a statement. And so that's that's the perspective he should be walking in here with. He's the bigger name, and it's on him to to, to make people remember his name. Don't The K is silent. He should tell everybody that. He does. <laughs> Um, you know what um i think that it what's really going to come down to is his wrestling i think that um similar to habib it's really going to come down to um just get one defense tiago's going to look to you know set up with the hands finish with the kicks make him you know weary of trying to close the distance it's on Islam, you know, chin down, work his way inside and just really drag him into those deep waters, just like all those guys from Dagestan seem to be able to do. 
So I think that that's just going to be the key. I think that he really just has to push the pace. I think he's got to keep Tiago on his heels and he gets the job done. Once again, Tiago is a guy um, well-rounded. Just His win streak doesn't necessarily suggest it. I think he's taken on a couple of tough guys there, but he's no slouch. Similar to Drew Dober, I think Tiago really has to go out there and just um, really not be afraid to take some risks with Islam, and he could get the job done. Because I think if he's too patient, uh, he's, Islam has one of those styles that is really easy to kind of almost wait for the takedown, and I don't think that's what you ever want. I know people are like, well, you're weary, you're, wait, you're ready for it, you're waiting. I think that's a dangerous game to play. You know, you can't do that with Habib. You can't do that with guys like DC. Um, so I think that that's just the thing. It's got both guys really need to come forward and push the pressure. And I think the one who's better at doing it gets the job done. And I think that person is gonna be Islam Mahachev. I think that um, I think he's just hitting his stride and. I think that at the end of the day, his ability to get you down and keep you there, I think that's going to really... Uh, Tiago's great, but I can't say that he's got that Charles Oliveira ground game off his back that I think that he ends up on his back. He'll get out of it or he could threaten with submissions like he needs to. I think that Islam gets on top of him. You really start draining the power bar and it starts feeling like deep water and suddenly you don't feel as fast when you finally do get back to the feet and... I think that's just the key. He gets him down. He's going to be very debilitating against a guy like Moises. Yeah, the Dagestani wrestling is going to prove victorious again. Uh, I feel that as well. It's just, it's almost, um, it's just a code that hasn't really been cracked yet. And anyone who's coming out of the, the, the not specifically the school of Habib, but, you know, that style, it's a, uh, it's very, very tricky, and it's demoralizing in some ways when you can't do when all the things you know to do don't work. Now, Thiago Moises is skilled and and is a skilled grappler, but it's like I don't know, man. The Dagestani wrestling is just next level. So far, that's that's how it's proved to itself to be in the cage. So, I'm going for uh, for Mr. Uh, Mahachev. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a drag out kind of, you know, not thrilling win, but he's going to get the job done. Unanimous decision. I actually see it a little different. I am feeling, you know what, I, even though I'm going to be there and sometimes you kind of want to get your time's worth out of it. I'm going to say Islam Mahachev first round submission for the win. You know, no, first round TKO. He's going to get him down. He's going to like trap the arm and it's going to be like Brock Lesnar, Frank Mir, just pummel him on the mat for the win. Wow. Okay. I I would rather prefer that. So let's go. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that's, I just, I don't know. I think he's going to channel the spirit, like Habib is going to possess him from the corner Mm -hmm. and just, you know, (laughs) he's going to get him. So. I'm hoping to see Habib around. I'll be honest, I'm out here and yeah. it's like, come on, Habib, where are you? You know, send me location. I know it's around here somewhere. But yeah, so um, that does it, Natalie. So we're in accordance. We both got Misha and Mahachev for the win. 
coming up next week. It was supposed to be a very nice double header with um you know UFC and boxing and uh, best wishes Tyson Fury and team. I know COVID, you know, postpones the fight, but uh, the, the guys weren't feeling well. And even though Tyson was only, like, quote, a little sick, a little sick with COVID is no joke, as we've learned. So definitely feel better, my man. And um, next week, we will focus on UFC Vegas 32. Corey Sanhagen takes on the returning TJ Dillashaw. That's expected to be a fun one. So, guys, thank you for listening. Enjoy the fights. We'll be back next week.